Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It is the Christmas edition of the GM Shuffle. It is great to have you with us. I hope you got your shopping done. Just a couple of days until Jolly St. Nick comes down the chimney. I know this has been a terrible year for many. I hope all of you are staying safe. Hopefully you're with some immediate family, if not your extended family. Uh, we'll do our best to entertain as always. We'll talk with some games. There's a triple header on Saturday. And then, of course, the games on Sunday. Uh, Jim Caldwell is making the rounds right now. Conversations about him. The Lions fire their special teams coordinator. So there's news involving out of Motown. But... Before we get rolling into the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike, in honor of Christmas Day, I mean, uh, just a couple of days away here. I mean, the favorite Christmas movies for me, I, I just watched Elf with my kids, James Caan, terrific, Will Ferrell. It was his first big breakout role, you know, the whole man-child thing, very funny. I love Bad Santa because I love Billy Bob Thornton. And when the Yuletide spirit becomes a little too much, when there's too much of Michael Buble and you're like, okay, you know what, I need a break. Well, then Bad Santa's great because it's just so vile and vulgar. It's awesome. Scrooge with Bill Murray is very funny. A classic, like, it's a Wonderful Life. Of course, Jimmy Stewart. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Who doesn't love Clarence? 29th Street's a great film as well. Those are among my favorite Christmas movies. For you, the Yuletide Spirit, which movies get you in the mood? I think it's a wonderful life. I think I think you need to look. I love those older movies where, you know, everybody's dressed up on Christmas Eve and everybody, it's like it's so nostalgic. You know, I think Bad Santa's hilarious. I do. I think Billy Bob, I mean, I mean, I don't even know how you would cast Billy Bob as that character, but it really worked. Like, you know, it really worked. He's kind of an interesting actor how, you know, I'm never sure he's in the right role, but he ends up convincing me he is in the right role. So... I like that. I, I think Miracle on 34th Street is great. You know, I, I I think anytime you can you can get the combination of the old with a story, I think are great. I mean, Home Alone to me is a great Christmas movie. I know it's kind of, you know, thanks after Thanksgiving, but I enjoy watching that. So I think anything that's older that you can enjoy with the, you know, it, it, you're not looking at the new stuff. I think that's what makes it so good. And, and, it, and it celebrates Christmas Eve and the moment of everybody's dressed up and the seven fishes and doing all that. So I, that's what I prefer. But I mean, this is such a great time of the year. Yeah, a friend of mine was saying that to me because they don't really make Christmas movies anymore. And you're right. Like the, the best Christmas movies, I think, were of a different era because they, they work with nostalgia and sentimentality. You know, there's a difference between being syrupy and being sentimental. There's nothing wrong with being sentimental when it's done the right way and those movies are done a certain way. It's a good call on Billy Bob. He's such an interesting actor because you're right. He's, he's an unconventional leading man, but he's uh, certainly has that role amazing in Bad Santa. Uh, speaking of a team that needs a role reversal, that'll be the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. You you and I are not the types to, to delve into hyperbole. We're straight shooters, but I don't think we're hot take artists, as you saw from fine in sports media. But this sentence, I mean, with every fiber of my being, I've never seen an 11-3 and team look worse than the Pittsburgh Steelers. I've never had less confidence in an 11-3 and team. They lost to the Bengals, for God's sakes, on Monday night football, 27-17. to And you think that's going to be a Super Bowl team? You think that's even going to be a team that can win the division? I can very easily envision the Steelers, Mike, losing five straight games to end the regular season. And they've lost three straight. If they lose against the Colts this week, which I can see, if the Browns beat the Jets, which I can also see, then you have a Week 17 matchup, divisional showdown. If the Browns beat the Steelers, all of a sudden Cleveland wins the division. And we've talked about the drops. This time, that wasn't an issue. They had three turnovers, 25% on third down. That was their success rate. And Ben Roethlisberger looked 
terrible. He completed just two of his first eight passes. The Steelers went three and out on seven of their first eight possessions, and they can't run the football. We'll get to the lack of running the football because that's been a consistent theme in a second. But first off, Mike, Big Ben is due, I believe, a $40 million cap hit next season. That's asinine at this point in time. He does not look like vintage Big Ben Roethlisberger. Why? And he hasn't looked like that in a long time. And he even admits he's not playing well. You know, and, and I think when you look for when is it time that a quarterback has come to time? I mean, think about Eli Manning. He refused to throw the ball down the field, right? Eli, great career, two Super Bowl wins, but yards per attempt kept declining, declining, declining. And, and the Giants ignored it, but it kept declining. Big Ben, the last five weeks, has averaged 5.3 yards per attempt at throwing down the field. His best game, his best game was five weeks ago against Jacksonville's bad defense. He averaged 5.8. The man won't throw the ball down the field. He's gotten hit too much. It's the cancer of quarterbacks. It's when they won't stand in there and take a hit, and they know they have to. It's one of the hardest positions to play. It's impossible, but you've got to hold the ball that extra eighth of a second. You know, we go on TV, whether it's the Monday night crew, whether it's Chris on Sunday, and all they want to talk about is next-gen stats, that Ben gets rid of the ball so quick. Like, that's like, you know, you're indicting him. Like, getting rid of the ball quick, it would be like, you know, counting to two Mississippi in the backyard. Who gets open, right? You know, everybody rushes on two Mississippi. Okay, the quarterback, he got to get rid of the ball. You're not, you're not throwing it down the field on two Mississippi. If you count the five Mississippi, you'll get some guys open. It's the same thing. I mean, Ben won't throw the ball down the field. And what's the result of not making big plays in the passing game? They've scored no points. They've scored 19 points AD in the last five weeks. That's what they average. They've scored 13.6 in the last four weeks. I mean, Ben has all the symptoms. They're all the symptoms of a quarterback who's at the end of his career. That's that's truly what it is. And it's hard to say. His arm's not the same arm, right? But more than anything, it's that will to stay in there and bang it out and hold the ball. It's probably got Tomlin nuts. It's probably got Randy nuts, the offensive coordinator. It's got them all nuts because they know what the problems are. And they don't have a plan B. They can't go to a running game to offset it. So they always have to put the ball in his hand, and he can't make any plays down the field. And that's a, and, and, and the teams know it. It's the th- thing I bitch about with Tua. It's like, you guys can all love Tua, but until he can throw the ball outside the numbers and down the field, you're never going to be able to score enough points to make him as great as everybody said he was. Yeah, Tua is another issue, but when it comes to Pittsburgh, I mean, again, the running game, Betty Snell, 84 rushing yards. They failed to rush for 100 as a team for the seventh time in their last eight games. They have not had a 100-yard rusher since James Conner did so against the Browns. That was back in week six. This is the Steelers we're talking about. The black and gold, Franco Ayers, they can't run the ball. And here's head coach Mike Tomlin. We know he's a master of motivation. He tries to will his teams to win. Listen how brief he was when talking about this team's confidence level. Should we better not be confident after after a performance like that? Uh, I'm not concerned about our confidence. Uh, we just we got work to do. Mike, you got about three weeks until the playoffs start, and you've had four subpar games. Can this be fixed simply? Yes. All right. Well, I mean, what do they want them to say? Yeah. Ex- I mean, when you ask that question, what do you want to? I mean, seriously, when when you sit there and ask that question, can this be fixed? What do you think he's going to say? <laughs> no. 
That would be incredible if he goes, you know what? I got to be honest with you. I don't think it can. I'm probably going to be out of a job soon. What a ridiculous question. I don't think it can. I, I, I've given up. In fact, I'll, you'll have my resignation tomorrow morning. I mean, seriously, when you ask that question, what do you think he's going to say? <laughs> like, if you ask the question this way, uh, Mike, things look a lot broken. What will be the number one thing you need to fix in order to get this turned around? And then let see what he says on that. He's not going to answer that either, but at least make him point you in a direction what he thinks the problem is. Mike, do you think Ben's lack of throwing the ball is related to his inability to stay in the pocket and take a hit? Do you want to see his eyes go, go oh, my God? Like, seriously, ask a question. that get, It would be like me saying to a kid in a draft meeting, you do work hard? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never asked a kid if he worked hard in his life that didn't say, yeah. I've never called a kid on the phone and said, uh, how you doing? Oh, I just got back from work. I could call a kid at 2 in the morning. I just got back from workout. That's, that's just a, they've been trained to say that. I mean, like if you're going to get to the bottom of the problem, you got to ask specific questions that point them in the direction. Mike, Ben has averaged 5.3 yards per attempt the last five, five games. You've scored 13 points the last four games. Is it, is it Ben's inability to stay in the pocket and hold the ball the reason for that? What's wrong with that question? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they used to teach us at ESPN. We had a guy named John Sawatsky. He was an interviewing guru. He said, when you ask a question, here's the three keys. O-L-N, open, meaning open-ended question. Who, what, when, where, why, or how. Lean, keep it as short as possible. And here's the hardest part, neutral. Like, don't allow the person being interviewed to take the question a different way. For example, you know, why is it that your team stinks right now? You go, okay, that's open. It's open on a question. It's lean, but it's obviously biased. It's not a neutral question. You have to say, as you point out, Mike, what needs to change for the team to improve? Simple. And you'll get an answer. He's not going to give you the right answer necessarily, but he'll give you a better answer than that. I mean, seriously. So I, I just don't, I mean, look, it's, I mean, and I think Kevin Colbert does one of the best jobs in all of football. And I think the Steelers are one of the best organizations. But they know more than anything. They know more than anyone that this is a, this is a problem. And until and, and I'm sure their solution to this is we've got to be able to run the football better. We've got to take the ball out of Ben's hands. We've got to cut down Ben's passing attempts from the 40, 50 that he'd do in every game. We got to get him into the 20s where we can maximize some of the things he brings to the table and take the pressure off of him. We got to do that. I mean, and, and as much as Ben looks like he's kind of at that Eli Manning stage where he won't throw the ball down the field, you've also got to be able to say, okay, I got to manage this for the next two years. How do I solve it? I can't give up on it. I got to solve the problem. And I think the problem is they got to fix that offensive line because nobody respects their run game. They don't have a back. I've said this all year, even when they were going good. They don't have an explosive loose play back that can, if they hand it off to him, he can get 35 yards, make a guy miss and go. They, you know, they have plotters. They, the, every back they have wears binders. You know, those, you know, they're just going to go in and get you four, put the ball down, get in. That's all they have. They don't have any magic back there. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the offensive line, how they had not been good. And it's like I'm watching the game going, well, wait, like they had a couple of pro bowlers, Pouncey and DeCastro. Like either either, either the all-pro, like pro bowls are just a fraudulent organization anyways, or those guys are good and the rest of the offensive line stinks. I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah, I mean, look, some guys just don't play. I, I think they miss they miss their ability. Like I even see it with Villain away at left tackle. He was much better with Munchak than he is now. He doesn't handle power as well as he does as he did then with Munchak as he does now. And it's just different. Co I mean, the number one hire for any off, like all these guys that get new coaching jobs, you know, they're all talking about who they're going to hire. You know, the offensive defensive line coaches are the two most important hires. The strength coach is the most important hire. 
Those are the, those three people have to really be your best hires. Yes, you need a great offensive coordinator. Yes, you need a good defense coordinator. But if you don't get a great O-line and D-line coach, and the D-line coaches are fewer and far between because we have way too many of those guys that that subscribe to the swim technique. You know, we're going to flip over. You know, like anytime you have swimmers on a football field, you, you suck. Anytime you have people pass the quarterback, you suck. And some D-line coaches, they just can't wait to get their defensive lineman past the quarterback. It, they've yet to realize that every time the quarterback goes past the quarterback, you're playing a game of, of, of one with one less man. So you need a, a D-line coach that understands that. You need an O-line who can develop talent. And you need a special – and you need a – a strength coach that can help you to mold the talent. So, and right now Pittsburgh's deficient in that area, and that's why some of these Pro Bowl players don't look like Pro Bowl players. Oh, exactly, that's well said. Because the Pro Bowl, I never can understand. I'm like, are these guys actually worthy? Is it on reputation? Some of these guys are worthy. Yes, yeah, some of these guys are bad picks. Whatever. When we come back, the Lions fired their rogue assistant, Braden Coombs. Jim Caldwell, former coach, is now interviewing with the Texans, plus some more coaches and GMs in the hot seat. It's coming up next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, how about Jim Caldwell? Back in the news. The Texans are interviewing him for their head coaching spot. He is the first known candidate to meet with the team. Caldwell had a good record, didn't he? 62-50 and 50 in his head coaching career. Three 10-win seasons, including leading the Colts to an appearance in the Super Bowl. He went 26-22 and 22 with the Colts, 24-8 and eight the two years he had Peyton Manning as quarterback. He then goes to the Lions. You know, he had three winning seasons with the Lions in four years there. That was a significant accomplishment. But they said, you know what? We can't get to the next level with Jim Caldwell. He went 18 and 14 in his final two seasons with Detroit. They said, you know what? That's just a little bit above 500. We need a guy like Matt Patricia. Well, Detroit is just 14 and 31 since firing Caldwell. We can debate whether or not they should have fired Caldwell. Felt like it was a mistake there, Mike. But what about the Texans trying to figure out their issues by bringing in a guy like Jim Caldwell? Your thoughts? Well, I mean, Jim Caldwell gives them a a stable guy, a guy that, you know, he has uh, been in with some successful football programs as a head coach. He's truly a head coach. He's going to coach, you know, he's going to coach the coaches. So it gives them some stability. It gives them somebody who can work alongside. I think it would be the interesting hire would be who would be the head, the general manager to work with them. 
But I mean, Jim has been able to get the players to play at a high level. And clearly what he was able to do in Detroit, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn weren't, weren't able to, to beat his numbers. So he's certainly entitled to another opportunity. I think the Houston job, they need someone to come in there and give them some stability, some professionalism, if you will, to, to their organization to let them kind of, kind of chill out a little bit and, and hopefully help Deshaun Watson because they're sitting on one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. I mean, let's be really honest. I mean, this guy is really remarkable and, uh, you know, and, and they need somebody that's can continue to develop him. Yeah. The good news is you've got your great quarterback. Now you got to build everything around him. Now's not the time to not say. All right. Thank you, Harvey. The Detroit Lions lose their second game in a row on Sunday. They fall the Titans by a score of 46 to 25. They've already got rid of Matt Patricia. We knew that. Well, how about the fact they fired special teams coordinator Braden Coombs? Somewhat of a puzzling decision. However, when the word came out, according to Detroit News, the team said that organizational frustration had been brewing with Coombs for some time with a belief the coordinator was overly focused on self-promotion. The final shroud was reportedly when he called a fourth quarter fake punt without consulting other members of the coaching staff. Apparently not all Lions players were even aware of the call and the play failed to pick up a first down. I'm not surprised to hear there's a coach, Mike, who is overly concerned with self-promotion. But calling a fourth quarter fake punt when the other guys aren't on board and some of the players don't know about that, that's wild to me. And then you got players defending them. I mean, like, seriously, I mean, who does this guy think he is? Like, you know, obviously he thinks he's bigger than the program. I think applaud the Lions, applaud Daryl Bevel. Like, seriously, we're not going to tolerate this. And we got rid of him. You got to. I mean, you got to. What, what's the old saying? Do your job. Just do your job. If you want to put if you want the fake punt to be put in there, then then your job is to convince the people that have the authority to make the call to do the job. It's called chain of command. I mean, and the fact that you don't want to do that, the fact that you want to go rogue and you think you're right to go rogue, you know, because you have your philosophy, this is what's wrong with the NFL. It's an independent contractor. I mean, applaud the Lions. Like, I think what the what the Washington football team did with Dwayne Haskins is inexcusable. They said they handled it internally. No, you need to send a message. If a guy wants to go to the strip club after he loses, after he's played, doesn't wear a mask in the COVID era, and you're going to take him back on the team and not punish him publicly and let everybody know, like you're tolerating that. Now, I'm sure they find him and all that, but seriously, like at some point, you've got to send a message. The Lions sent a message, you know? It's the same thing. Let's go right back to the Sopranos. You know, Tony had to, you know, when they killed Vito, Tony had to come back and send a message. You got to send a message to let people know where you are. Haskins not being cut is a joke. I mean, Haskins is a blown pick. We've known his character has been, I've talked about it repeatedly on the podcast. That was the concern, his inability to throw the ball with any sense of timing, his off the field. Can you imagine you want this quarterback to be your guy and represent you as an organization? I mean, I spent a half a day with him in Los Angeles when he stiffed me at a meeting and he didn't show up after he wanted to come. He had, he had all the earmarks of a guy that you knew you couldn't put your franchise trust in. And yet, of course, the great Daniel Snyder decided as, the, as a smart GM he was going to do it anyway because he went to school with his son. And now you tolerate this? I mean, seriously, at some point as an organization, you got to stand for something. I applaud the Lions. Yeah, it, it wasn't entirely surprising that I see NFL player caught in strip club maskless. I'm like, okay. 
But the fact it was Haskins, I'm like, hang on a second. You've already lost your starting quarterback job. You'd be third string right now if it wasn't for an injury. And in fact, you may be starting if Alex Smith can't come back in time. And you figure, you know what? This is a good time to party with a bunch of strippers without a mask. I mean, it, Mike, there's mistakes you make in life and there's just stupidity. And you can't fix stupidity. I'm with you. I I cannot believe, you know, I honestly think it's just a necessity. Rivera's like, I'd love to get this guy out of here. But if Smith doesn't play, I need to have him as a backup. But once the season's over, I cannot wait to get rid of Dwayne Haskins. I'd be shocked he's on this team after this season. I mean, he's the Jackie Jr. of the NFL. He's a moron. He wants to act like he's a starting quarterback, like Jackie wanted to act like, like he was Don Corleone listening to... Remember when he went in there with Manoush, you know, and he was had his hand on his... Like, he was listening like he's the god. That's, that's Haskins. He wants to do all the things to be a starting quarterback and do nothing. He's Jackie Jr. Jackie Jr. also caught in a strip club by the Tony, which was one of the funniest moments ever, as we've talked about before. Tony's like, hey, do as I do, not as... No, do as I say, not as I do. Tony's there as well. There's no issue with that. But the fact that Jackie Jr. said, hang on a second, you can't be in a strip club when you're dating my sister. I've made that date my daughter. Um, any other thoughts, your other potential job openings you want to discuss at all? You know, I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see what happens, I think, really, what happens in Los... I think the Chargers don't want to fire Anthony Lynn. They're 5-9. and nine. And if he gets to 7-9 and nine and he wins the next two games of the year, I, I would think they stay. But if he's 5-11, and 11, they have no choice. I think the Bears are another interesting team because at 7-7, seven and seven, they could easily get to 9-7. and seven. They've got Jacksonville this week. They play Green Bay in the finale. You know, did Zach Brown save his job with his win yesterday? He's got five wins in his in his NFL coaching career. I, I don't think so. Everybody in the league tells me they don't think Raheem Morris will be the coach in Atlanta, even though they're interviewing him for the job. You know, they I think that'll be a more of a they'll, they'll, they perhaps will make a change there. Uh, and look, you know, I I think at all these jobs, Jacksonville. Everybody believes that'll be Trent Balky's job as the general manager from people I talk to in the league. So, you know, as you look over the landscape and, you know, th this time last week, uh, I mean, a Monday when we taped, it was right before Marty Herney was let go by the Panthers. I think that's one of the best, because I think Matt Rule, not because my son works for the Tampa, that works for the Panthers. I know Matt Rule. I know who he is. And I've always said on this podcast before my son went to work for him, I think David Tepper has the makings of a great owner because his mind is one to which will fit into the narrative of successful owners in sports. So whoever gets that GM job down in Carolina, I think will have a great opportunity. I think it's a great job. Definitely about rule as a coach who uh, seems to be on the right track with that Carolina Panthers team. Other names being thrown out there as far as potential jobs. Ian Cunningham, the Eagles assistant director of player personnel. Nick Casario, New England Patriots director of player personnel. So we'll keep you updated what happens with regards to the GM carousel. When we come back, we'll talk about Christmas Day game. That's right. Jolly St. Nick giving us the Vikings and the Saints. Plus, David Chase on Talking Sopranos. That's coming up next here on the GM Shuffle. All right, Mike, what was your record after uh, 15 weeks of football now? Where are we at? AD, I had a horrible week last week. I, uh, you know, I went 0-4. I mean, that spot, I still don't get that spot in the Tampa game. You know, that cost me a win there. The Eagles couldn't kick an extra point. But anyway, I'm 73-54-4. I'm 27-32-2 on the season uh, this year. Obviously not a good season this year based on what I did last year, but you know, we're going to bounce back. I think we got an opportunity this week. Uh, I'm not going to give up. Like I said on the pod on on Monday, the one thing I've learned in this is is that I think it, it's really about the process. It really is, and, and I enjoy the process of analyzing the games. 
And even though the results don't come out the way you think they should, uh, you can't control that. I mean, I couldn't control that horrible spot. It was, you know, I couldn't control Nick Chubb running out of the end zone. You know, and sometimes you're handicapped and you're wrong. Like, I was wrong on San Francisco. I was completely wrong on that. I don't think I was wrong on Tampa Bay. I don't think I was wrong on Philadelphia. So you move on and go on to the next week. That's right. You go on to the next one. But I will say this, AD. I, I will say this. I feel badly. I mean, the survivor, the circus survivor, we had Mike Palm on earlier in the year. You know, teams that, teams that save Pittsburgh and the Rams for this weekend, they lost. I mean, that, that's heartbreaking. That is truly heartbreaking because how do you lose that? You know, how do you lose that? And it's just, it, that's a heartbreaker. When you're in this close to the end of the tournament, picking a winner every week, and you have two teams that you could easily think were going to win by double digits and you lose, that's how unpredictable the NFL is. It is crazy how it all works out. Check the most up-to-date betting lines by using the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Christmas Day, we got the Vikings and the Saints. Normally, you get a ton of NBA games, which, again, we'll get on ESPN and ABC, but we also got some football, baby. Saints head coach Sean Payton saying Tuesday he's optimistic that Michael Thomas, his ankle injury, he'll be back from injured reserve in the minimum three weeks while returning at 100% hell. So that's with an eye towards the playoffs. As far as this game specifically, it'd be more interesting if the Vikings had actually beaten the Bears, but now the Vikings, they're done. They're six and eight. The Saints lost by three to the Chiefs last week. Score makes it look closer than it actually was. Vikings have lost two straight games. I mentioned that loss. The Bears previously lost to the Bucks. This game is interesting, I think, for a couple reasons. Mike, New Orleans, can they get the number one seed in the NFC? And can Drew Brees look better than he did a, a week ago when his completion percentage was awful? Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of those games that I have it on my board right at seven and a half. The line's at seven, so there's very little wiggle room here. It's an elimination game. I would I would lean towards taking Minnesota in the seven because I think Minnesota will throw the ball and move. Minnesota's defense is not very good, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse as the year has gone on. And they're just so young on defense. I think this is a bounce-back game for New Orleans offensively, whether it, Breeze is better. This will be a great test to see how much he's improved. Mike Zimmer has always done a great job against Sean Payton. So to me, I think it'll be a closer game. I, I think New Orleans wins the game. I think if it's at seven and a half, you got to take it. If it's at seven, you know, for me, it's a no play, but it's going to be fun to watch football on Christmas. I, I can't get into, I love hoops, but I can't get into basketball this early. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I don't think the players are into it this early. Yeah, even with 10 less games this season, the regular season, I'm with you, Mike, because there's too much football on. So let's just enjoy the football, you and me, and then we'll get to February, and then we got plenty of time to dive into the basketball, and then we'll get to tune up for the playoffs. Maybe a little channel flipping, but I'm with you. The fact we have football, that takes precedence for me over everything else, especially here on the East Coast. I was telling a friend of mine, I go, you know, when the weather's lousy, you know, when it's cold and it's snowing, it just gives you more reason to hunker down, get the fireplace going, get the munchies. I mean, it's why you put on 10 pounds in the winter, but it's just, it just feels right the winter, right? No, no doubt. I mean, you know, and, and of course I got Millie cooking and, and you know, it's just, a, it's not a good time for me. I mean, I'm still looking for the Mexican diet pills. So, <laughs> I mean, if you see any of those, let me know, AD. <laughs> That's my Christmas present to you. I got some great diet pills, Mike. Take a couple of these. You'll be fine. Eat whatever you want. I'm trying to get somebody just to drive to Tijuana and buy them and send them to me. I mean, somebody that listens to this pod that lives in San Diego, you can't do that for me. I mean, seriously. <laughs> You know, <laughs> give, give, give us a way to lose some weight quickly. Um, we'll get to David Chase and talking spreadouts in a second. I do want to mention on a somber note, Kevin Green. He had the third most sacks in NFL history. He passed away on Monday. Uh, this is a guy 58 years of age. Very, very sad story, Mike. Star at linebacker and defensive end. He was a walk-on at Auburn. Obviously played for the Rams, the Steelers, the Panthers, the 49ers. 228 games, 
named the Pro Bowl five times, led the league in sacks twice uh, each time he was an All-Pro. I saw you tweeting about this. This is a tough loss here from the football family. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, Kevin was truly a, a great, great uh, player in the sense that he uh, built his body to the point to where he became a great NFL player. Once drafted by the Rams in the fifth round, and then classic Steelers. You know, this he got. He was the perfect fit for what Dick LeBeau was doing in Pittsburgh in the in their thirty four defense with Dom Capers and. And he was able to come off the edge and and really do a nice job of of being the a, a defensive end but playing outside linebacker and and the era fit him perfectly. You know, in a book that I I have to write, I think that there's certain players that are in the hall that benefited from the era, and there's certain players that are in the hall that could be in the hall and anywhere. Like for me, the Hall of Fame. It shouldn't be once you're in, you're the same as everybody else. There should be separate clubs within the hall. I call them branches. There should be separate clubs. And I think clearly Kevin was a Hall of Fame player and person, and he benefited from the era and the timing because his game really suited it. Had he played at a time where they, we didn't play outside line, but maybe he would have gone unnoticed. And I think that that's why the hall should always have separate cases. But for me... You know, I competed against him. We were in Cleveland. He was impossible to block with a tight end. He was physical as hell, and it's just too early. 58 just too young. As Al Davis would say, I, I have no more tears. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough loss. There's no question about it. Um, let's wrap up by talking about David Chase on Talking Sopranos. I know you even finished the whole thing. For those who aren't aware, it's a podcast, Michael Imperioli, Stephen Schrippa. It's excellent. Mike watches it because they put the clips on YouTube. I'll listen to it. Um, what I found was interesting is this. David Chase, when you see him in other interviews, I wouldn't say he's evasive, but he's not the most chatty guy. But clearly with a couple of cast members, I think he was uh, more at ease and more willing to talk more about The Sopranos. Now, if you're thinking, oh, did he discuss the ending? Well, they asked him about it, but no, he's never going to tell you what the ending is or what actually happens. I mean, that's just, as he has said before, it's all there. I mean, I'm not going to go into the ending. It's all there. You figure it out. That's, it's not like a freaking riddle here. Like just, just it, it is whatever you want it to be. It is your own interpretation. But what I found interesting is this. Out of the interview, right out of the gate when Imperioli asked him, like, what were you trying to do with The Sopranos? This is a guy who had worked on network television for years, as you've talked about, Mike, The Rockford Files, the rest of it. He said, I was trying to do something different. And he goes, well, what specific qualities were you looking for? And he said, well, I want to believability. I want people to talk the way they actually talk. Sometimes when people say things, it's not what they actually mean. It's what they're trying to get from someone. I wanted to convey that on television. I thought that's a great point. Most shows, you never see that. People are talking on the nose. They don't do what they did on The Sopranos. He said, I wanted to have a certain Italian-American edge to it. I wanted to have a cast with Italian-Americans. Um, I wanted to have anti-heroes. I wanted to have a real authenticity to it. And that's what we were trying to do. And it's it's interesting. That's what he set out to do. And he did much, much more than that. He made the greatest show of all time. But think about when a story first gets created. As a writer like yourself who appreciates the writing process, those were his initial aims. It's almost as if he had a, a mission statement. He said, okay, we have to do all these things at all times. And that's a big reason why they were so successful. Yeah, I, I mean, just listening to him, his mind is so you know creative that I think that, you know, he uh, had all these ideas in his head, and he didn't really have an arc for season one when he when he when he wrote the pilot, which was really somewhat incredible. He kind of built it as he went along. I love the story that he told about when he when he had to go tell characters that he was that they were getting killed, and Mikey Palmese was arguing to keep his character in there. I love that. Whoever Al, I forget how to say his last name, was arguing. Uh, Al Sapienza, yeah, yeah, take a mite off. You know, I mean, I love that. You know how they killed him in the poison ivy, and he tells that story, and 
and, and you know, and Puss kind of knew he was going to get killed. And I, I thought it was, you know, it, it's a really interesting interview. His mom played, I mean, when, when uh, Livia, uh, the, the actress who played Livia, who's passed away, when she came in for the for the scene to do it, she played like she played it straight, like his mom, and it, and it just was way better than the, everybody else who played it like a raving Italian uh, woman. And she said to him, she said, "Is this person that I'm playing dead?" Because she knew that she was playing David Chase's mother. I mean, think about the the how creative David is to be aware of this and to pl- and to be able to remember and all the things we see in Livia was really his mom. So as I've often said, when I listen to this interview, I've often said like, like Lorraine Baracco thinks that the, sh- that he wrote through her and that, that she was him in the show. And I don't think that's the case. I think, and he says that she was based on his therapist, but I think what he did was, he he the show was based on his mom and he used Lorraine as another therapist in the show to write his feelings like you write a daily journal try to write your feelings out it's the same way and i think that that's what it was i i, I could listen to david chase talk about writing forever and i thought he was very comfortable he did. i thought he was really good in it i i, I can't wait to finish it i love that he loved Bob, i love that he loved uncle junior writing for uncle junior and I love that Bob Dylan wanted to write, wanted to have a song in it. I thought that was awesome. I mean, one of the great writers recognized great writing. Yeah, that's right. As I say, real recognized real. And uh, yeah, I love that story about Nancy Martian, who played the mom. That everyone else was doing these, you know, hysterical, stereotypical Italian mothers waving their arms. She just came in. He said the cadence was exactly like my mom. It was eerie watching her do it. I said, oh my God, she's got my mom down pat. And Nancy Martian is not Italian American. He said, but she just knew that character so well. And you're right. As far as favorite characters to write for, he said, Junior, unsurprisingly, and Livia were the two favorite ones to write for. I'm like, yeah, I could see why those would be fun to watch. And, and Al Sapienza, Mikey Palmese, he did not want to die. And at one point, but the read-through for his final episode, Pauly, Tony Sirico walked in and goes, bap, bap, bap. <laughs> he, just, he, he just mimics shooting a gun, throwing it in his face like, you're God, buddy. I mean, at least at least Big Puss could see it was coming. For for our boy Al Sapienza, he was he was trying to hang on. Oh, Al, I mean, where could Al, where, where could have Al's character, I mean, really being so unaware, I mean, where could that have character have gone? I mean, we're not shooting a Western here. I mean, he was trying to, he was never going to take Tony down. How could he have lived? I mean, from, see, you knew he had to go. They weren't going to kill Junior, but they had to kill somebody next to Junior. So I I think cadence is the perfect word you use there. There's a certain cadence in writers. I mean, Joan Didion has an unbelievable cadence. Whenever you read any of her writing, the cadence of her writing is is fabulous. And like I read, I read a letter that it was on an auction that Frank Sinatra wrote to Justice Scalia, and the cadence of his letter was as in the rhythm of his letter was just brilliant. I mean, what Sinatra was trying to do was congratulate Justice Scalia for being an Italian-American and reaching the highest uh, office of, uh, in, of the Supreme Court. But he was also urging him to help celebrities use his power to help celebrities have to fend off some of these false accusations that the media does. So he's trying to use his power to help him deal with the people that are attacking his power. And the letter is really well-written, and the cadence is almost as if Sinatra was singing it. People that have that ability, and you know, great writers do, and certainly Chase does, I think the word choices are so critical. That's why if you read Joan Didion or any of those great writers, 
It's the cadence that's remarkable. On behalf of Cadence 13, Merry Christmas, everybody. We will talk to you next week here on the GM Shuffle. Everyone stay safe. Uh, Hope you enjoy whatever you get in your stockings and enjoy some great football. Happy holidays.